I'm Gaz Coombs, and this is The Sound Purchase. This is The Sound Purchase, a podcast that does a deep dive to explore iconic recordings. Episode 32. Oh, Canada. Our buddy Gord. The 1951 Toronto Maple Leafs and the Tragically Hips 1992 Bully Completely. Jake. Hello there. How do you? All right. Yeah. You good? Um, I'm doing fairly well. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. I kind of want to um, just preface this whole thing by, by saying, uh, how unlikely is it to get two members of the band called Gord? That's like... Well, I guess it's is Gordon, right? Yeah, but to be fair, Gordons I don't know any know? Gordons. I know Gordon from <laughs> Thomas the Tank Engine. I like Gordon. Yeah, and yeah. Gordon Brown. And Gordon Brown, of course. Yep. And there was was a rugby player in New Zealand called Gordon, a singular rugby player. Yeah. Oh, I guess Gordon Ramsay as well. Commissioner Gordon, but that was a surname. That was so. a surname. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a little bit more acceptable. So yeah, just well, weird. Yeah, I do like the Gord though. I like I like the shortening of it. You know, Gordon Ramsay, that's just, that's too much of a mouthful. But Gord Downey, I think, you know, works. I, I just, yeah, I like it. Yeah, but I think that works because you've got the hard D at the, at the end and at the start, where Gord Ramsay sounds a bit stupid. And it sounds a bit too close to God Ramsay, and I don't think yeah. his ego can handle that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, we certainly seem to be liking Canadian music at the moment, don't we? I mean, you do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what's happened, but all of a sudden, it's it's all about Canadian music with me. You've been you've moved on from Australia and New Zealand. We've got that, that batch of bands out of the way. Now we're into Canada. <laughs> Au contraire. We have not got that batch of bands out of the way. I am trying to spread them out so it's not just singular focus. But yes, I guess I am I am all about the uh, the colonies, as it were, at the moment. But yeah, Canadian music at the moment. No, not you. Uh, <laughs> no, I love Nick. I also would have accepted Brian Adams. Oh, no, uh, okay. Yeah. Cheap joke. Low-hanging fruit. I'm actually, I quite like Nickelback. I saw them open for the Rolling Stones. They were almost better than the Rolling Stones, dare I admit it. I mean, not hard. Not hard. Not I hard. mean, they, they did have a good 50 years on the Rolling Stones, you know, so, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, we are here. We are talking about the tragically hip the older I get, Jake, the more I'm interested in art and music that reflects the surroundings in which it's made. We spoke a lot about this mm. on the Midnight Oil episode with their unique Australianness. Uh, we also talked about it when we were talking about Bruce Springsteen. Oh. All right, get back in the box, Bruce. And his comments on the American dream. So this time around, I'm fascinated with the tragically hip and their kind of crash course on Canada. So my first awareness of the hip was sparked when it was announced that frontman Gord Downey had terminal brain cancer. We're starting this on a bit of a downer joke. But the band were doing their farewell tour of Canada. So to conclude the tour, the band's final show was actually broadcast free to air on CBC as it's called, Canada Broadcasting. So that gives you a bit of an idea of how important these guys are to the nation. 
but only to that nation. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> to be honest, it's, I mean, there's reports of whole communities banding together to witness the show on big screens, on like pop-up big screens and stuff, like throwing street parties because yeah, it was a band's crazy. final show. I mean, I actually don't, I just don't think that this could happen for another artist ever, anywhere. Well, in history, I can think of it happening for artists throughout history. I don't know if it would happen for anyone current. Maybe Nickelback. <laughs> Look at this photograph. <laughs> like, but all jokes aside, they have a huge fan base. They do, and they're they're bloody brilliant. But I, I mean, so Paul McCartney, I think if he if he died, I don't think it would be that big a deal. I mean, I know when Bowie died, it was a huge deal to a lot of people. But they didn't broadcast his final performance on live to air television. Do you know what I mean? Did they know it was going to be his final performance though? No. That's the other thing. Yeah, it's like, true. These true. guys had a definitive. We know this is the last one. Yeah. Whereas, you know, a lot of other bands, well, you don't know, do you? No, you that's, that's fair enough. Well, in the weird way that these things work, I was reading at the time of hearing about Gord Downey and his cancer and their tour, I was reading a book called Travelling Music by fellow Canadian Neil Peart. The Holy Trinity, that guy's just like us, except they're also the greatest musicians in the history of the world. He dedicates an entire passage through the book to this album to explain how much it meant to him. And I meant to track that book down again, read out the passage, but I didn't. I mean, I've got it here. I could go through it, but I'm not going to. I appreciate that. Thank it's you. It's a very good book, though. I do recommend it. Traveling Music. It's all about him in a car driving to a uh, national park on a couple of days off and the music that he listens to and why he's listening to it. Funny enough, what's, pop quiz. What is the first album he puts on? Is it uh, Rush? I was going to say, it's not his own. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's, it's an album we've talked about on this podcast. Oh, is it Ween? No, it was on a bonus. You got to be a friend of the show to hear it. Oh, uh, some forty-one. <laughs> no, no, good, <laughs> good guess because they're also from Canada. It was so. Was it this album? No, no, because we're talking about this one yeah. now. Okay, I'll, I'll take you out in misery. It was Lincoln Park's Meteora. Oh, disappointing! <laughs> disappointing. <laughs> oh, well, that was that was not good. <laughs> it's because it's not a good album. Um, sorry. Oh, okay. I wasn't expecting that. I was, I was expecting something, but not just, oh. Anyway, at the time when I was reading the book, Spotify didn't actually have either of the records that were mentioned by Piet in their library, so the hip were put on the back burner. But recently, during the holiday, I was watching Trailer Park Boys again, and I saw Gord Downey actually appear as an actor with Alex Lifeson from Rush. It all comes full circle. And so I, I just, it sparked in my mind, I need to actually revisit, retry and so on. So I've subscribed to Apple Music and had a look on there. There it was. Needless to say, the tragically hip are Gord Downey, lead vocalist and lyricist. Paul Langlois, the guitarist and BVs. Bobby Baker, that's a great comic book name. Bobby Baker, also of <laughs> guitar. Johnny Fay, drums and percussion, and Gord Sinclair, bass and BVs. Gord Downey sadly succumbed to cancer 14 months after their final show. Tributes were thick and fast, including a very tearful announcement made by Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. We lost one of the very best of us this morning. 
Uh, Gord was my friend, but Gord was everyone's friend. It's who we were. Our buddy Gord. Our buddy Gord. Oh, I wish that the Prime Minister of New Zealand, when I die, is there announcing at a press conference tearfully. He had tears streaming down his face, Coldplay, but he had, a, he had the tears going and he's literally uh, our buddy Gord. I won't be too fussed if Boris doesn't mention me when I die. Right, to be fair though, Boris is going to be long gone before you die. I'll never discount, you know, bus might slam into me. Uh, oh yeah, all right. You know, might fall down a manhole. You I never thought you were going to try and pass off that Boris is immortal. <laughs> He's been drinking the blood of virgins. <laughs> God, can you imagine being stuck with Boris Johnson for all of eternity? Not a political podcast. <laughs> it, it's got a bit heavy, Jake. It's got a bit heavy. Let's pick it up with a game show. I really enjoyed the quickfire nature of last week. So let's stick to that format. But this is not multiple choice. You either need to answer or you need to pass. It took us 15 minutes to do a, a one minute quick fire round. Yeah, but they don't know that through the power of editing, right? <laughs> yeah. All right, Jake, you've got to answer 12 questions correctly in a minute. Go, right. Oh, the time's up. How are we done? Two. Yeah, okay. All right, all right. Today, I had a really hard time trying to avoid a just general quiz on Canada. Right. So I... uh Instead, I've gone down a different route and I've started to look at tragedies. Okay. I have stupidly, I've not got the sting for tragedy by the Bee Gees. That would have been perfect. It would have been perfect. Yeah. But we're going to look at our boy Willie Shakes and his tragedies as he is the most famous of the tragedy authors or playwrights. That, of course, is William Shakespeare, kids. I've got 20 something questions for you. 20 questions exactly. We've got a minute to get through this. <laughs> I'm not going to, once the time's up, I'm not going to do what we did last time. I'm not going to go through all of them. Okay. If you are correct, I mean, like I say, you, you either answer or you can pass. Right. And let's say you've got to get, let's go right down the middle. You've got to get at least 10 right. Right. Okay. And if you are correct, you are going to hear this. Mm, Elizabethan haterade. That's Elizabethan Haterade. And if you are incorrect, you're going to hear this. Looks like old Willie's gone and made Hamlet's up a song. There we go. That is Thug Notes. If you've never seen Thug Notes, it's well worth it. Are you ready, Jake? Not in the slightest. I, I don't really know any... I, I don't know a lot about old Bill's plays outside of the big ones. So uh, <laughs> They're mostly around the big ones because his, his tragedies oh. are the famous ones. But let's kick it off with the game show theme and then we'll go right into it. Okay, Jake, you're not playing for anyone because I forgot to cut up everybody's names and put them in a hat. Easy done. It's, Easy been, done. A, it's been a tough old week here. Okay. Should, should we just make someone up? Let's just make someone up. I'll be playing for um, uh, Gord. You're playing for God <laughs> Ramsey. I'm playing for God Ramsey. God there Ramsey. Go. Uh, no, I don't want you to play for God Ramsey. But then again, I can't think of a better name. So I guess we're going with God Ramsey. Okay, right. Okay. Gordo, here this we go. This is for you, God. 
Othello's Harmatia or Tragic Floor was what? I don't remember, pass. I, I, I'm not going to get any of these. I'm okay. just going to put this out there now. Which famous Shakespearean tragedy was Shakespeare's longest? His longest? Was it Hamlet? Correct. Mm, okay. Outside Juliet's house in Verona, there is a statue. Which part of the statue are you supposed to rub for good luck? Oh, um, no idea. Pass. Her right breast. Uh, the title of this play should not be uttered before a performance for fear of bad luck. Oh, Macbeth. Mm, Which tragic play is The Lion King based off? Um, Hamlet. Romeo and Juliet was first published in 19, uh, sorry, in 1597. When was the title of Juliet? Uh, there we go. <laughs> we got five, six in. What was, what was, finish the question. You started, so you finished. We'll go mastermind okay. rules. Romeo and Juliet was first published in 1597. When was the title character of Juliet first played by a female? Oh, 1842. Uh, 1662. Ah. There you go. Well, sorry, God, you, you haven't done it today. It physically okay. wasn't doable. Sorry, God. Looks sorry, like God. old Willie's gone and made Hamlet's of us all. Shall we have a listen to Fully Completely by the, I nearly said the Grateful Dead, but it's actually the Tragically Hip. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay, yeah. 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 
Track number one, Courage, by Hume McLennan. Well, as the title references, it's about, or for, Hugh McLennan, who was a Canadian author who died in the lead-up to this album being written. Yeah. Hmm. Did you know that? Okay. I bet you didn't. Uh-huh. Well, no, no, no oh. I didn't know that. Why, why does he need courage? Well, see, now that, what a, what a question, young Jacob. This is in reference to one of his most famous books. It's a, it's a main theme from one of the books, and the Canadian Encyclopedia states that McLennan is recognised as the first major English-speaking writer to attempt to portray Canada's national character. I was going to go for a Canadian accent there and then pulled out very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he was he was an important author trying to basically do, as, as I said at the beginning, of capture that kind of national character, as it says, and mm. put it down into art. Something quite important. A lot of people... Well, I've said this before on the podcast that you know, growing up in New Zealand or maybe even you felt the same growing up here in the south coast of England, you're always trying to make your music sound very American, or at least I was. Like I was looking overseas to America as the guidance, never looking at home for what we had there. Probably less so for me because a lot of us, so growing up, we were all very into um, things like post-rock, which has got quite a few American sides, but there's also a very kind of British thing mm. as well as, you know, growing up during the Britpop era. Well, yeah. But yeah, I get what you mean. Absolutely. There's, there's always like an Americanization of... Yeah, well, I guess of- it's not even that as well. It's, it's like in New Zealand, musically speaking, we're looking at people from England. We're looking at people from America. You know, it's, it's the mm. anywhere but here sort of mentality. Yeah. You know, and of course we've talked about tall poppy syndrome and it's the kind of thing of no matter how successful bands can get in New Zealand, the public kind of sit there and go, yeah, but they're only famous in New Zealand. We have a saying, world famous in New Zealand. Like they can't be that good because they're actually from New Zealand. But yeah, anyway. Yeah, fair. Yeah. I've noticed as well was people not singing with an accent per se. Mm. You know, they'd sort of lose it and slip into, into a nondescript not really from anywhere accent. Well, it's mainly an American accent, right? That most of us kind of slip into. Yeah, but I couldn't pinpoint, like, you know, if it was like a specific state or somewhere like that. So it's just sort of nondescript. Oh, could you imagine if everybody started singing like in a Boston accent? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> We'd just be sounding like Margie oh, Mark. I mean, I can think of worse things, but not not much. No, that, and that's something I've tried as well recently kind of since since we really began this podcast and we're looking at people like that, I've tried to develop my singing to be more how I sound, how I talk, as opposed mm. to slipping into that generic Americanization and so on. Yeah. Yeah. It's it takes a bit of time to adjust, like adjust your ears. If I tried to do an overly kind of British sounding, end up doing like a really bad David Bowie impression. <laughs> so, Do you, you get know. the nice wobbles going as well? <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. Which I only found out recently, thanks to the Ralph Report, was intentional. Like he did that intentionally because there was a stage singer, like a musical singer, that sang like that, and Bowie always thought that was really cool. It was one of his heroes growing up, so Bowie like adopted that sound the original singer was doing 
and then kind of made it more famous for himself. Basically stole it. Just, just saying. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay, well, anyway, the intro to Courage comes in thick, it comes in fast. Great shuffle groove there. Oh, yeah. Well, needless to say, I was pretty much hooked by the end of that clip. That's how long it took me. I sat there going, oh, this is all right. This, is, this isn't yeah. bad, yeah. First, first thoughts were, oh, this is, this is very Stefan. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is go. right up his street. There yeah. you go, yeah. <laughs> Everything's pretty much just straight ahead, no trickery. Here it is. A lot of the time you'll hear me talk about like the, because this was in 1992, so they're basically coming up against the grunge movement, which actually geographically is not that far away in Seattle. These no. guys were based in Kingston, Ontario, which is just around the corner really from Toronto or Toronto. And they do, at times, sound like Nirvana. They do sound like Soundgarden. But hear me out, Jake. Because they're Canadian, they're actually a bit nicer. It sounds nicer <laughs> than Nirvana, if that makes sense. It's not quite as aggressive. The problem is, and I've got some notes about this, but I'm just going to go into it right now. They picked the wrong producer for this album. It was quite successful throughout the States and America and their yeah. whole plan was they wanted this to be big in the States. And if you listen to a lot of the drum sounds and a lot of the guitar sounds, this is effectively like an 80s, almost hair metal album with in terms of the sounds used. Okay. Like the guitar sounds, the drum sounds, the bass sounds. Not, not throughout the entire album. There are certainly songs where you don't get that, but if you really hone in, on, particularly on the drums and some of the distorted guitars, it is so 80s it's incredible mm. and obviously they were kind of moving out of that era particularly in the grunge scene and i i kind of feel like that's partially why it didn't get the traction they were hoping for because even though people don't pick up you don't think oh it sounds like the 80s subconsciously yeah, yeah, the brain yeah. kind of goes done with this that's you interesting know? yeah yeah so maybe we should save this for the end but you know which which producer would you rather have had then I don't know. I haven't thought about that, to be honest with you. But if you look at some of the credits this guy's done, he did a lot of metal stuff. Right. Like He did loads of heavy metal bands. Uh, Gary Moore, Finn Lizzy, Judas Priest, mm. Malmsteen. But he's also done Tom Jones and Depeche Mode. But mostly he's, yeah, metal stuff, which is fine. But I just don't think it was necessarily the right sound. That's so interesting that you say that. Yeah, yeah. Because it's sonically, it's not a bad album, but it's it's interesting that you say that you've kind of unlocked a new corridor in my brain. Yeah, I just think, yeah, it sounds good, mm. but it was a sound that people didn't necessarily want in the States at the time. Another thing about this particular, like the first few songs I listened to on this album, it's like, this sounds like REM, 80s REM, trying to do a Pearl Jam album. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I'm fully on board with that. So let's take a let's take a beat to talk about the vocals, Jake. Mm. I mean, it took me a while to calibrate to his vocals, but much like the unusual vocals of Peter Garrett from Midnight Oil, I actually quite like the unusualness of Gord's voice. I, I find it quite um, endearing and convincing. Very original. I, like I say, the REM comparison comes back to me. He's like a less yeah. nasally, I guess, <laughs> Michael Stipe. Uh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'll be talking a little bit about his voice as we go through, but let's hear his voice for the first time. Watch the band. A bunch of dance. 
Really like that. There's great harmony BVs in the back half of the first verse. And our first sniff at the chorus hook comes in quick with just like a short, tiny half chorus. Quite like that technique of like a little mm. cheeky half chorus just to whet the appetite a little bit. Yeah. It's not yeah. something you really hear too often, is it? No, it pops up every now and then, but it's, uh, yeah. After another split verse, half without the harmony vocals, half with, we hear the full chorus and the hook cements into our head and then gets stuck there for weeks, Jake. It's scientific. Of course, there in the second chorus, it includes the cheeky tag of courage. It couldn't come at a worse time. That's taken from The Watch That Ends the Night by Hugh McClellan. It's the idea of the, throughout the book, two people fall in love, but then the girl's ex comes back, basically, and she's kind right. of toiling with the idea of, like, who do I pick? And the, one, the guy that's come back is trying to find the courage to speak up and it couldn't come at a worse time. His courage finally comes back and she's in a relationship kind of thing. Right. That okay. sort of thing. So we roll into the third verse, which paraphrases lines from the watch that ends the night. During this verse, the texture drops to mainly vocals, bass and drums. I absolutely love the bass tone here. I think it sounds fat. It's not as good as we heard last week in the Cuban brothers that that bass tone has just lived <laughs> yeah. with me. Or for weeks. But there are some great guitar lines throughout this little verse as well. Cheeky little noodles and doodles and spoodles. Simple explanation for anything important any of us do. And yeah, the human tragedy He's almost at like a kind of James Hetfield snarl there, don't you think? <laughs> He's so close at the end with the under pressure. There's a bit of a guitar solo happening over the third chorus as well. They are pretty, now that you've said that it's like a bit like 80s hair metal, kind of puts us all into perspective. I, I don't feel like they've mastered the guitar solo. No. As like a, as a compositional device. They are very accomplished guitarists. What they're playing is great, but it's things like, 
Gord keeps singing over the top of the guitar solo. There's just these little things that kind of keep interrupting the guitar solos, and the guitar solos just don't seem to be mapped out very well in terms of they don't actually travel anywhere, some of them. This one I've got a different umbrage with, but we'll talk about that in a minute. So he keeps singing over it and it's like, well, only one of you can be the leader. It's the fine if it's like the outro of a song, it's all big and bombastic and you're yeah. wailing away and they're wailing away. But yeah, when it's the guitar solo. Well, yeah, unless you're actually adding to it. But then we end with like a fading gentle chopping riff. Uh, the bound. Ah, yes, the Bee Gees fade. The Bee Gees fade and I take massive umbrage to this. Because they should Bee Gees fade over the solo. They shouldn't, all the energy that that solo has just built up is completely cut off at the knees because mm. they go into this other kind of wind down riff to, to try and stick the landing. It would have just been better if they let the song just go off and actually take a bit of flight. Uh, the ending that they have would work fine live. It's just a boom. Yeah. You do that a couple of times and then it stops. You know, big solo, fades out, done. Yeah. But maybe, maybe that's a production thing as opposed Probably. to a composition or maybe that's somewhere where an experienced producer could be sitting there and kind of going, well, this is great for doing this live, but guys, you know, let's actually make this into a really, really... But like, he wasn't inexperienced. Finish. That's the thing. He's worked with... Yeah, wrong word to use, but, you know, in terms of... I know what you mean. Yeah. With that style of music, yeah. perhaps. Yeah. So before we before we get into that, have you got anything else to add to this one? No, once again, just what I've said about the 80s tones and yeah. the Michael Stipe and Bell Jam. <laughs> okay. All right. So, yeah, just a bit of extra energy at the ending would have been nicer, but... You know. Take notes, guys, if you could re-record it and do it right this time. Well, you know what? I just want to just want to take a moment to say that these guys have, uh, the guys in the Tragically Hip have been liking our posts on Instagram, just saying. So, uh, oh. just, you still, guys, you've got to Just drop a bit in there. So you guys are awesome. You guys keep it up because you're the only ones that are really liking our stuff on Instagram. <laughs> Track number two, Looking for a Place to Happen. Mm, yes, this is uh, another good example of some 80s. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. 80s stuff. And we're going we're gonna to really kick into that in a minute and you'll, you'll hear why. But first, let's talk some context. This track is a comment on the encroachment of, that's my new favourite word, encroachment of European people on the land of Indigenous First Nation people. My new favorite website, hipmuseum.com, reports. <laughs> this song deals with the subject of encroachment and the eventual annexation of indigenous lands in North America. It's, I don't know what accent that is, but it, it's an accent. As this was achieved in different methods, war, treaty, disease, by different people and empires, France, Britain, Spain, Portugal, United States, over a period stretching from the 15th to 20th centuries. 
I'm just trying, just to, trying to make it clear that I'm reading a quote there as opposed to just me talking. Is that your quote voice? That, that was my quote voice, yeah. So <laughs> this is really mean of me. I'm being so harsh here, but when I hear the opening riff, I keep waiting for the pinch harmonics of Barracuda by heart. Yes. Okay. I've literally, where is it? Um, riff could be from a heart record. Yes, I was I was unsure of how much I'd have, actually have to like give to that one to make you understand, but I'm glad you're on nah, the same page. Absolutely. Obviously, it's, you know, the riffs, riffage-wise, it's not really that similar, but it's the sound. Yeah. So we're, we're not galloping, you know, we're not in Iron Maiden, but it's, it is significantly kind of similar. Bit less modulated, maybe, but you know. A lot less modulated. We'd learned by the 90s, you know, you don't need to have all of the phaser all of the time. Well, and it needs to be subtle if you are using it, yeah. Unless you're Nirvana. Yeah. So the drums enter and the groove finally settles. The drums sound mighty in this song, I've got to say. He's not a flash drummer. He's really not a flash drummer, but man, he can hold those straight beats so tight. Turn up the uh, gated reverb a bit and you have the perfect AT snare. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. I was going to say something about the snare in the other one, but there's like a, there is a bit of an echo on there that kind of really Mm. sinks in that syncopation and that shuffle. But yeah, I, I do like the drums on this track, I have to say. I really like Gord's voice. In the verse here, I think he, this, this is probably my favorite song of his when he's singing. I've got a job, I explore, I follow every little whip. Really like that. I think it's really powerful and it's, it only gets better as we get into the other verses. Here you go. This is to solidify that it is actually 90s, Jake. The chorus really reminds me of a Garage Inc. Metallica. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's all I can hear at the moment, you know. I hadn't even considered that, yeah. And he's even, he's like I say, he's got that kind of Hetfield snarl going, you know. So... The solo works better for me on this one than the previous one. I love the pinch harmonic. Love it. My big gripe with the solo, if you're going for the 80s, no dive bomb, zero out of 10. But that's the thing. I don't think the band were going for the eighties, though, right? They were going for the pinched harmonics and oh, like you the... Love a pinch harmonic, man. It's it's like like I say, if even if you're doing some sort of like neo soul, you need to have a pinch harmonic. It needs a pick slide and a dive bomb. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair enough. In verse three, the narrator takes on the perspective of the First Nations people, welcoming in European explorer Jacques Cartier. 
I love the way that Gord says Jacques Cartier, first of all. I think it's there's so much uh, anger in his voice, so much contempt. But the previous verses have all been from the perspective of the Europeans searching for a, a place, searching almost for someone to exploit. That's what the lyrics suggest. But it's really clever of Downey to present this third verse within the metaphor of being at a house party in a way. So let's have a listen. Put your coat up on the bed. <laughs> just so stupid, but I love it. I think that's just, it's so brilliant to put it that way and to show how welcoming the First Nations people were. This isn't just in Canada, this is in New Zealand, Australia, and so on, even in America. So welcoming and kind of willing to share the land almost. And then everybody's like, right, yeah, this is a good place. Let's uh, slaughter them. Anyway, <laughs> this is not a political podcast. They end the song with a reinterpretation of verse three where Downey sings the same words, but he augments the rhythms. He makes the rhythms a lot longer and drags them out. Have you got any anything to add to this one? Yeah, mostly once again, 80s, no dive bomb. Yeah. You know. Oh, and uh, guess who's back? Back again. Fade out's back. Tell a friend. <laughs> I don't think it was as gratuitous as Barry Gibbs' fade out, so... Uh, no, no. I, I don't think it's physically possible to be as gratuitous <laughs> as the Bee Gees with their fade outs. Yeah. But I've just noticed more of them when I'm listening to music now. So am I. It's... So am I. It's not just you. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny how these things become such a such a thing. All of a sudden, like, I'm hearing a lot more of uh, vibraslaps. Everywhere. Yeah. And yeah, it's like, yes, exactly. bring back the vibra slap. I'm all for that. Okay, so track number three. Um oh I've, I've forgotten the name, Jake. I don't I don't think they actually mention it in the they song. They don't mention it? Um I don't think so. I think it's one of those you know how you know sometimes it's exciting when they say the name of the film in the yeah. film. It's the same sort of feeling with the song. I don't think they do that in this one. I, I I'm not sure, but let me look it up. Okay. The hundredth meridian at the hundredth meridian. This song, right? Yes, that's yeah. Do you it. remember that? That's yeah, it. yeah. This is this is the one that for me. This is where the pole jam thing really started to come in. Okay, <laughs> yeah. I, I think I started to hear pearl jam on this one because I, I kept saying I was trying to sell them to my dad, and I was saying to him, "Oh no, you'll love it. You'll love it because it's like it's like Nirvana and pearl jam, but a bit more melodic, a bit a bit nicer, a bit kind of less mm. angry." And this is definitely very, uh... yeah. Yeah. Jam. I think it might just be the war. Well, well, and we'll like that bass, the like the the. We'll we'll get there. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, the hundredth meridian is a line of longitude that runs from the north to south pole, dividing Canada, the USA, and Mexico. It has become a convenient line of political division in Canada, apparently. Oh, yeah, fun fun fact. So the intro is homorhythmic. It hits on two chords. Everybody plays the two hits. And 
I can't hear those two chords without expecting some sort of percussion in the middle. <laughs> every time, every time I hear it, that's what I'm expecting to hear. Can you play the two stings at the same time? Oh, I'm sure I can. It might be slightly out of time. Uh, bear with me. Nope. Let's try this. Oh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that was uh, Space Junk, by the way. Episode four of A Sound Purchase, Space Junk by Devo. That didn't come to my head, but now that you've mentioned it, that's... Uh... That's all I can hear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So luckily, though, they they settle into a halftime groove and it all starts to kind of settle. And this is where you really start to hear kind of 10-era Pearl Jam. You just need a bit of... <laughs> some, some good old Eddie Vedder hanging from the rafters. Just inaudible lyrics. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. Uh, the vocals, however, do not follow the Eddie Vedder lead. They are really subdued and monotonous. Made a bunk an American myth. Take my life in my hands. In the second half of the verse, there are some great BVs, and we get to hear some. Some wah wah guitar. Driving down a corduroy road. standing shoulder high. Ferris wheel is rusting. I've actually got a wah wah sting now, Jake. Just just letting you know because there's an album coming up that I'm planning to do, and it's like every song, without fail, he clicks on a wah pedal. Is it the black album? No, 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 no. Because it's not. It's not like even. Wah, you can hear the click of the wah pedal. That's how bad it is. Like, <laughs> you can you can hear the wah pedal click on and the tones suck. But every single song, he goes for a solo, not like a hard rocking solo, but just to change the sound, he sucks the tone out with a click of the wah pedal. And yeah, it's both beautiful, <laughs> magnificent, and absolutely horrific at the same time. But we're not here to talk about that future episode. No, I'm no. curious as to what that's going to be. Yeah. I think the chorus, I think, might mention the name of the song, but I'm just not sure, Jake. At the hundredth meridian, at the hundredth meridian, at the hundredth meridian, where the great plays begin. I, I had to concentrate quite a lot there, but I think he does actually. Yeah. It's in the background, isn't it? The only song that's more subtle than this is Around the World by Daft Punk. <laughs> 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 which I should have got a clip for, but I didn't. The second chorus features some BVs, which actually is a nice change from the first chorus. Although they just really doubled down on the whole song title. What happened at the 100th Meridian? Well, the Great Plains began, Jake. Did they know? That's what they say. That's what they say. Yeah. The bridge becomes a bit autobiographical, or so it would seem. No one can seem to agree online what the reference to Buffalo is. Henniglo, on the other hand, is a legendary and heavily bootlegged live show where the band's manager was not present to babysit the band. Well, they just had a few few more drinks than they ought to have. Time for a little drinky pool. Cheers, genitals. The, uh, the line... 
it would seem to me, I remember every single thing I know has grown on to take a new meaning as Downey as part of his cancer treatment had two invasive surgeries on his brain, leaving his previously superb memory actually quite unstably poor. They they do show in a documentary I was watching about that last tour, they show that he's using teleprompters and he didn't ever get any of the lyrics wrong. I mean, I know that he's got teleprompters there, but that's not bad for a bloke that just that's had two good. invasive surgeries on his brain. Mm. Yeah, It was quite interesting, actually, to watch that documentary because he had suits made for him. Made, and he had, like, this one made out of, like, a plastic paper, almost like the stuff that you used to cover your school textbooks in. Oh, yeah. It's like silver and sparkly and glittery and so on. And he had all of these suits made and he had about 10 hats made. I guess that was to cover the scars and so on. But the the milliner that's actually making his hats is really quite a big fan. So she's stitching into the lining of the hat her favourite tragically hip lyrics. I thought that is so cool. <laughs> can, that's quite cool. Can you imagine that? Yeah. So anyway, when you see... Pictures of Gord and the band on their kind of farewell tour, you see that he's wearing big, big hats and he's kind of become quite synonymous with that image now. And, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Mm. So the second half of the bridge seems that Downey's just laying out his life plan or manifesto. If I die of vanity, promise me, promise me they bury me someplace I don't want to be. You'll dig me up and transport me unceremoniously away from swollen sea breeze, garbage bag trees, whispers of disease, acts of enormity, and lower me slowly and sadly and properly. Get raccooner to sing my eulogy. I hate those lyrics. <laughs> they feel really forced and shite, and it would have been better as just like a little instrumental... Thing, and then it just comes back into a chorus. I think they're really I poor. You. I hate you. <laughs> yeah. I hate your hat. I hate your t-shirts. I hate your wristbands. I hate your shoes. I hate your music. I hate the C Nation. I hate everything that you stand for. C Nation, in this case, of course, being Canada. There we go. Uh, oh, oh. <laughs> Oh, no, seriously, I, I just think they sound really forced and it, they're just not necessary. I like I like the rhythm. I like the flow of them. Yeah, the lyrics themselves seem a bit out of place because I, we're talking about this whole other thing. I can't remember what they're talking about for the rest of the song, but they're talking about this whole other thing. And then in the middle, it's like, yeah, so when I die, can you can you do this for me? But what I do like is the whisper. When he says whisper, he starts whispering. That's... Some cool musical concrete. It is, but you know, it would have been cooler <laughs> just not having any vocals there. And I do, I do like the line, get Raikuda to sing my eulogy. Because I don't know about you, maybe, maybe I'm the misinformed one, but I feel like Raikuda is not much of a singer and more of a guitarist. Obviously, that's what he's really well known for. Yeah. So I, I find it quite funny that you take like such an exceptional guitarist and it's like, get him to sing my eulogy. You know, let's finish this song out, Jake. Where 
still can't nice. remember what that song's called. Uh, yeah. Something about something about Buffalo. Uh, what, what you meant to say is... It doesn't matter! Because we're on to the next song. We are. Yes. Yes, we are. Pigeon Camera, track number four. Now, I know that just the title alone has got you a little bit titillated, but I thought maybe maybe now is probably a good time to introduce everybody to your alter ego. Well, <laughs> really, I really thought you were going to go with me on that one. So when I, when I first met Jake, one of the first things that we kind of bonded over was his hatred of seagulls. Because everyone hates seagulls a in seagull Brighton. Seagull in Brighton once flew onto his shoulder and pinched his six-inch subway. A true, literally landed on my shoulder. Yeah, on there. Sub gone. Took his six inch up like a little chunk of crust. Yeah. How dare it? I mean, personally, I applaud that seagull because that's so brave. <laughs> that's that's just so what they cheeky. Do. Yeah. So we started to bond over that story and we started to notice a lot of spikes around on buildings to keep pigeons off. And Jake went into this big kind of rant about how how much seagulls should be. How would I say? It's more of a pest than pigeons. There you are. go. Yeah, there you go. So Jake even even got to the extent where he designed his own superhero or his alter ego. Uh, yeah, I remember now. So let's let's introduce everybody to your alter ego. The pigeon camera. No, the pigilante. The pigilante. <laughs> the pigilante. <laughs> There's something that I've I've certainly never never forgotten. I'm a little upset that you've forgotten it. Being a busy man. Half the reason no. I suggested this record is because it had the word pigeon on it. Well, you, you, you've had the entire time we've been doing this to do like a pigeon detectives record. Uh. If only I knew who they were. <laughs> but now I need to check them out, clearly. Yeah. I wouldn't, but... Oh, okay. You know. So back to the music then. Let's talk about some music. I spent forever trying to work out what the intro riff reminded me of and I just couldn't work it out. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. The, the It's so moody, this track, isn't it? I quite like it. It's a mm. nice contrast to the three tracks we've had so far. But allegedly, it's about the vigilantes of World War II, where pigeons were used as aerial reconnaissance devices. They had tiny cameras attached to their chests. Because they have a strong urge to return to their nest, whoever it was thought that it would be a really good idea. To try this, could you imagine being the person suggesting that in the war room? Well, I mean, at the time, they didn't have technology like we do. So, yeah. I mean, did it work? I don't think so. I think they didn't really account for the fact that pigeons get sidetracked and just go and hang out in a couple of trees and stuff. Yeah. I can't imagine being the person saying to Winston Churchill or whoever, like, hey, hey, Winston, shut up. I've got a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, the music, the intro is metrically ambiguous i enjoy when songs play with my natural sense of beat and when the backbeat falls onto a different beat so let's have a listen it's not quite as bad as this one this one always gets me Always gets me that flip, man. (laughs) Always. So the groove settles and the meter becomes clear. 
I like the chorus because it bursts the song wide open. The groove is quite tight, quite condensed, but all of a sudden in the chorus, the tonality changes minor to major and everything bursts a bit open. I kind of like the vocals there, the BVs, because they're not very good. Like they, they are good, but they they sound, I don't know, they sound a bit weak in a way. Yeah. They don't sound like they're very sure of what they're singing, but I kind of like that. You know, it is these small things in music that make us like these songs. Yeah. After the chorus, there is a squashed and very compressed guitar playing some lines. I don't think Corey Wong could fit any more compressor on there. Oh, I don't know. The man finds a way. <laughs> well, probably, he's probably got some sort of like super compressor where you, ha- you have it go in, it compresses it, then it goes out to like a, another thing that then compresses it more, <laughs> sends it back to the original. <laughs> yeah. No, he's only got a Wampler ego. Was that it? That's it. Do you all of a sudden understand why I need a Wampler ego? <laughs> I mean, I need no, one. because you don't, you don't play one. that sort of stuff. Oh, contraire, mon frere. Don't need, a, don't need a compressor. I'm all about the... Yeah. Anyway. Compressors are for, um, for the weak yeah, was... and the talentless. Okay. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> all right. Real men don't need no compressor. <laughs> Let the note be free. It rings out as long as it rings out. Tony Stark was able to build this in a cave with a box of scraps. <laughs> Finally, I've been waiting for so long to use that. Oh, that's yeah, pretty disgusting from you, though, Jake. I have to say, shots fired, shots fired. Uh, take it back. Okay, yeah. So we've got the squash guitar. There's a great use of something I've nicknamed the gravitas bell to make the song sound really serious as well. That's it. You just hear it there once. That's it. <laughs> Can you imagine being the person live? You've got to sit there for ages for like one bell ring. I like to think they've got like a MIDI controller, but it's just like, it's like a keyboard, but it's got one key on it. <laughs> <laughs> so the track ends with the band jamming through the changes. Special mention to the panned percussion. The little... I really like that. That sounded like Sandstorm. I didn't mean it to sound like Sandstorm, but it, <laughs> yeah, you'll you'll hear what I mean. I just realised I finished that song, but I didn't check if you had notes on there. No, no, not really. No. Next song. That's four in the bag. Next song. Four in the bag. Next song. Okay. Track five is Lionized. Mm. I feel like this is your kind of track. 
my opening thing is I hate those opening lyrics. Uh, <laughs> but would have been really good if we'd taken up that sponsorship deal. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wait. I, I just started it without even introducing what we're doing. I feel like this is your kind of track, Jake, because I hear a lot of Nirvana in this track. Do you? I do. The intro features an overdriven riff, which is joined by a straight-ahead groove. Here we go. This is what I mean. If you dirty that up a bit more and get the drums a bit like heavier, Dave Grohl style, boost up the BPM by about 10 or 20 BPM, that would be, that would sound like a Nirvana song, but it's just too nice. You'd need to um, jazz up the bass line a bit as well, because Chris Novoselic is uh, secretly actually a really good bass player. <laughs> yeah. The vocal melody is actually what makes me think of Nirvana though. It's just a bad lyric. Why? It's just a bad lyric. Take it back! <laughs> I don't know what to say. Uh, the chorus features some strong BVs and another kind of strong Nirvana melody. Although I think mm. that descending motif is a little bit too pretty and intricate for Nirvana. Yeah, I can't see them doing that sort of thing. No. I thought in the in the verse, you, you do get quite a cool percussive thing going on with one of the guitars that's quite heavily panned into one of the ears. Nothing really fancy or anything. It's literally just like some sort of percussiveness going on. Get some chicka chickas. Yeah, but not a little bit more complicated than that. It's the kind of thing you don't really notice mm. until you've noticed it. And then if it was to be taken away, you'd be like, it doesn't sound right. Okay. And that kind of evolves as the song goes on and becomes more of like, I think they change it into like some jank sounding chords instead. Let's listen to the second verse, which also features some harmony vocals. Son of a bitch. <laughs> That's all I can hear now is like that. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I just thought it was a cool thing, you know. Yeah, I quite like that. The bridge features new chords we haven't heard yet. Sounds like a key change, although I still I think it is diatonic. It was so difficult there not to make a really shitty like H chord joke where you said that there's chords that we've not heard. Ah, oh, the H chord. Eight. There we go. Okay, the track ends with the developed chorus, which also features an extended descending motif. I quite like this as an ending, as opposed to the ending for Courage. Do you have anything else to add for this song? Just really hate, really don't like that opening lyric. Cool percussive stuff. But if we had of, if we had of picked up that sponsor. It would have been the perfect perfect. segue. It would have been the perfect (laughs) time to talk about it, but alas. Uh, 
Track number six is Locked in the Trunk of a Car. According to new friends of the show, hitmuseum.com, Downey was inspired to write this song after reading The Killer Inside Me by Jim Thompson, which always reminds me of Tobias's book, The Man Inside Me. (laughs) (laughs) Gould also said was never about one historical incident. It was about trying to evoke the claustrophobic atmosphere around guilt and shame. Deep, man, it's deep. Despite this, fans and journalists alike have interpreted the lyrics to be based on the Front de la Liberation du Quebec, who were an amateur terrorists who murdered the Quebec Labour Minister Pierre Laporte in 1970. Mm. Yeah. I feel like the lyrics are jumping between two viewpoints, actually, that of the murderer and that of the soon-to-be-murdered. The intro features some spacey guitar and monotone vocals from the lower end of Downey's register. I think this is one of his best songs, singing-wise, with what he actually does with his voice. Yeah, yeah, I, I can I can go with you on that one. Yeah, I quite like this intro. This will predate them, but um, quite quite rage ahead, I think. Well, let's hear it. Yeah, I can I can hear that actually. I mean, it doesn't mm. predate them by that long. No, but it, it kind of predates them going the, into yeah. that sort of style of thing. Yeah, you know, because well, they would have, they would have been going at this point, but they were still doing you know their rubbish music <laughs> that they'd been doing before. Fair enough. Okay, they go straight from verse one into verse two, and this time verse two has got some drums, not just the kind of clicking cymbals. So it's gone back to the 80s. Oh, yeah, big time. <laughs> big time. And I, I'll be honest, I was kind of hoping it would stay kind of as it had been. All shimmery it was a little, and nice. It's not bad, but it's just like, you know, not where I was expecting it to go, sort of. Not where you were hoping for it to go. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I was kind of like, oh. But where it does go, and I'm not going to mention who it reminds me of because it will give away one of my cover choices. So... Yeah, well, I, I don't believe the song features a chorus. I think instead it's just got a bit of a refrain, mm. which is this. However, every day I'm dumping the body. Better for us if you don't understand. Better for me if you don't understand. Then it travels into a solo, which we kind of just heard the start of there. That's that's not a bad solo in terms of, you know, Gord's not really singing over them Mm. and they're just letting the solo be the solo. Yeah. My problem with their solos, like I say, is that they're just not really seeming to go anywhere. They kind of find a a kind of group of pentatonic notes that they like and they just stay on that one shape kind of thing. Yeah. Which is is fine. Which is fine. Don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not trying to say that they're bad guitarists. They've probably they've probably developed a lot since nineteen ninety two when they released which this. It was a long time ago. Exactly. But 
yeah, I, I get what you mean. It's, it kind of, you almost feel a bit, yeah, it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. You know. So the third verse sees Downey take his voice up an octave, which is a really great compositional tool. This is when he really starts to use his voice. Actually, I hear a lot of talking heads in there. I hope that hasn't ruined what you were saying. No, no, that hasn't ruined it at all. But yeah, um, I agree. The kind of vocal delivery. Gives it a lot more kind of uh, chutzpah. (laughs) That's my word for the moment. Chutzpah. And for anyone who's been watching this season of Taskmaster, you'll know which episode I've just watched. (laughs) Fair enough. I like that. Yeah, so the ending features another solo jam with some unintentional kind of hilarious vocal cries which I don't think, I think they're supposed to be taken seriously and kind of be dramatic, you know, acting. But um, I don't know, I find it really funny. (laughs) I probably shouldn't, but there's just something about it that makes me laugh my head off. don't think that was a lyric. I think he was just locked in the vocal booth and they went for lunch. <laughs> yeah, okay. I like that. Yeah. The monitor's off. Yeah. I I thought it was, uh, it was more like he was just ad-libbing, trying to be funny, and he thought like he'd replace the words at some point. But yeah. they, they just didn't get around to it. it but yeah, that ending actually, I know, I know I kept that a bit long. I wanted to get all of the let me outs in there because the first couple are just <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. The last one sounds so sad. The last one sounds like, yeah, it actually sounds proper. But at the end, they do the fade on the solo. That's exactly what they should have done for Courage, in my mind. You know, so it's not that they didn't have the technology, because they really did. Maybe they'd recorded this first. Mm. And then when they went to go do that, we're like, well, we can't fade out on the solo again, because we've done that already. Yeah, but the Bee Gees have proven you can fade out on every song and still have a number one album. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Track number seven, We'll Go To. The intro features a swung guitar and some awesome spacey plucked notes. I like the like eternal optimism of that. That's so nice and just happy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I get you. Uh, although now all I hear is 80s. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. But yeah, like that arpeggiated guitar is quite, it's very nice. Mm. This track as a whole, it does feel a little bit album fillery to me. I don't know about you. You know, it's sort of just like there. 
Yeah, I think that can happen when you have like a slower swung song like this. That kind of yeah. That most. I mean, it's not very exciting in that sense. I I really like the song. I really love the rolling flow of the vocals in the verse and the kind of the change that they do between that optimism into this. I like that. I like that. And it's the the room full of nothing. I really like the way that that just rolls in with with that shuffle. The chorus melody gets stuck in my head, though. Like badly, not not in not in necessarily the good way. What can you do? But the vocals in the second verse feature a lot more bite. We're getting that Hitfield snarl again. There is a guitar solo after the second verse as well. Again, we're getting a lot of guitar solos. I think that's the most convincing solo yet. I think so. Very simple. But just a nice melody line, yeah. You know, goes somewhere very nice. Yeah. And I think as well, we we were still in a time. I don't know how it is these days. To be honest, my finger's not as on the pulse as it used to be. But there came a time where solos weren't cool. I think we weren't quite there yet. I think we were still at a point where solos were okay, almost expected. Well, Oasis did a lot of solos. Yeah. I'm trying to think, obviously Pearl Jam, Nirvana, to an extent. So it was still okay. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you're right. Like, Foo Fighters don't do a lot of solos. Or they no. did in their early days. No, probably when we were, when I was like 15 or so and really starting to play in bands, solos, we weren't really into doing solos at all, you know. That's because your bands sucked in comparison to mine. Yeah. They were all just solos oh. around, man. <laughs> yeah. Solos are the greatest compositional tool ever. It's like, oh, I don't know where to take this solo. The thing is, we... We couldn't help ourselves. Like we just kept writing songs that were like six minutes long, and it'd be like a minute and a half before you got to a chorus, sort of thing. Mm. Uh, so we'd be like, "We just don't have time." <laughs> <laughs> time is only but a factor, my friend. I, I've never liked this whole like, oh, you've you've got to, you've got to keep it within a certain time limit. I understand that, but it's always like for me, the song is its own beast, and it's it is as long as it is. Yeah, you know, uh, for us as well, it was a product of, of jamming. Yeah, like all of our stuff was written through jamming stuff out. No one ever came in with a written song. Like they might have a part that they'd written. That that explains so much. Like when we first put Fourth Avenue together, and I think it was either myself or or uh, Ben Wheels was just like, "Hey, could you play this?" And you just blank face, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have the feeling that it wasn't me asking, but I remember being just like taken aback by it, thinking, oh my God, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean you're not going to play it? Because, yeah, all my bands previously, I had such a such a forced hand in writing a lot of it. I wasn't, well, I was a bit of a dictator, but it was more just, you know, because I was, I was into it. 
the only Fourth Avenue I based on I didn't write was the verse for Tell Me, you know, Possibly. the chromatic wall cup. Yeah. Maybe I did come up with that because I couldn't be asked to play whatever someone else had come up with. That, that strikes me as a Jake baseline. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Very I simple. I, I would have tried to overcomplicate it and get you doing like those little triplet runs with us. I think originally that's what you, someone, I think yeah. originally that was the plan actually. Yeah. I was like, I'm not doing it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Doesn't matter because uh, no one actually listening to this knows anything that we're talking about right now. No. Maybe we should put that song up. Yeah. Don't Good tell song. Jake to play a part that he well, hasn't created himself. But if you've got me in as someone, as part of the band, it's like, well, I'm yeah. going to play, you know. Especially if you want to do recording and stuff. Why are you getting me in to record something that you've written? Well, you play it. <laughs> that's, that's what I like about playing in comfort so much is you guys give me a lot of freedom. In oh, yeah. scene. I was I was really expecting uh, Brendan, friend of the show, Brendan, to be a lot more hands-on with what he wanted, but he's actually really good about it. Uh, he knows what he wants, but he's not technically minded enough to know how to get there. So he'll describe what he wants, yeah. and then you've got the freedom to get that across to him. It's great. <laughs> it's yeah. really great. I really enjoy being in a band with Brendan. Yeah. But anyway, back to this. Back, back to, big, to this. Big tangent. The song ends with, well, you guessed it, Jake. Another jam. I think I was trying to emphasize the length of that jam by making that clip really long. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> Track number eight is fully, completely the title of the album. So that must mean that this is a great song because they named it's the album. It's going to be the best it. song on the album, obviously. Yeah. It's a breakup song, Jake. Apparently, Gord was oh. ha- having a bit of troubles and this is what a girlfriend said to him once. Like, I'm either... Here, I think fully, completely, or not, where we're broken up fully or completely. Sounds sounds pretentious. Yeah. You did the right thing, Gord. Uh. <laughs> um, <laughs> the intro features some syncopated chords. I can actually hear a lot of Radiohead in that one, too. I can see that, yeah. Yeah. You know what I you know what I think of whenever I hear that? I think of Metal Gear Solid 2. Oh, okay. <laughs> Don't know why. But it just puts me into mind of like the sniping section. Oh, oh, okay. I mean that's more your thing than mine. I'm I'm not as up on those games. I remember watching you play it and thinking, God, I wouldn't be able to play this. Yeah, they're good games. They're yeah. fun. I feel now. I know I'm giving them a lot of suggestions, but I feel that intro could sound much cooler with like a harmonic tremolo going on. 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I was hoping you were going to give me a clip where you've, I you haven't, just put No, I should have done that. And I thought about that right about 20 seconds ago. <laughs> but that's a bit late now. It would sound cooler with that kind of helicoptering tremolo happening as opposed to just the long chords being rung out. Mm. Or even like a panning thing going on. Or that, yeah. You know. The band enters and the groove settles. The vocals in the verse switch between chest and head voice. Lover, she simply slammed the door. She said, you're gonna miss me. Wait and you'll see. Fully. So it's a, uh, a Ched voice. A Ched voice, yeah. I actually, I said the other, the other song was the best for his vocals, but I think he's most convincing on this one. That's just reeking pure desperation in, in a good way. I think he's really using his voice to full effect there. The second verse features some pretty awesome guitar noodling. And I'll give you points if you can tell me the answer to this, right? After the second chorus, there is a... Uh, a shotgun shack, a beautiful house, a large automobile. It's not your beautiful wife. What, what section do you think is going to come after the second chorus? A middle eight? No. Is it another verse? No. Post-chorus? No. A solo? Oh! They're getting better and better as the solos go on in the album. Mm. They're actually, I hope they recorded all the songs sequentially. Do you know what I mean? And like they're actually just getting better <laughs> and better. So, yeah, there's another solo and then the solo winds up turning into the ending. So have you got any notes on this one? Not really, no. Nice nothing, and easy. Nothing to add. It's an interesting cadence that they end on. I need to figure out where the chord actually, where the chord ends, what they end on. Sounds unusual. I couldn't tell you. No. Could not tell you. Track number nine is 50 Mission Cap. The song mentions Bill Barilko, who played NHL for the Toronto Maple Leafs. In 1951, he scored the final goal that won the Leafs the prestigious Stanley Cup. In celebration, he went on a fishing trip with, I think, a member of the management, and they disappeared. Oh. His body was discovered 11 years later. Right. Coincidentally, Jake, the Leafs won their next championship the same year that his body was found, so they had an 11-year drought. Isn't that kind of weird? Wow. Yeah. That is weird. Yeah. The guy that scored the last, like, the winning goal 
of their last one. And then when his body was found, that's when they won the next one. So in celebration of this song, the Leafs play this song during every home warm-up game and have a framed copy of Gord's lyrics written in their private player's lounge. That's hard to say, private player's lounge. There we go. Right. Okay. Fair play too. And somewhat unrelatedly, a 50 mission cap was given to pilots that successfully flew 50 missions in World War II. Pilots were allowed to dirty their caps and kind of bend them out of shape and so on to add to the mystique of the 50 mission cap. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So they're all very like bent kind of captain's Mm. hats because obviously flying 50 missions in World War II was not very common. No. Although I've heard of some some bloke in, in Germany that was flying for the German army World War Two and he got to some like hundred and fifty missions or something like that. Yeah. What the Red Baron? Uh, no, not the Red Baron, but it was it was one of their fighter aces from the Luftwaffe. Anyway, we're not here, it's not political. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are here. But we're not a political podcast. Yeah, I, yeah. I worded that we completely are, wrong. It is political, <laughs> yeah. but we're not going to talk about it. Exactly. I can't actually figure out what the two subjects of 50 Mission Caps and Bill Barucco have to do with one another. Well, but he I, famously fought in World War Two, didn't he? Did he? No. Oh. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, I was thinking, wow, okay, there's some, there's some great Jake trivia being pulled out. Uh, the intro features excellent use of a pedal note sitting underneath the shifting chords of so the bass is sitting on that pedal. Love it. And the pedal note continues through that verse even, mm. although it does change. Hockey talk. I can see like Mike Patton singing this in just some weird with some weird ass jank vocal delivery <laughs> from the toilet. And that'd have, that would have to be the only thing that you'd change about it, and it becomes a Faith No More song. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. Uh, yeah, Literally. this is like the the Muse kind of album for nineties alt rock, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, literally, you don't have to change any of the sounds no. like, or the tape or the guitars or anything. It's like, well, that's perfect. Add in like a really cheap sounding keyboard yeah. and uh, a jank vocal line. Although, yeah, the drummer's not playing half as many tom-toms. You, all you do is you just add toms over the kicks. <laughs> Boom, done. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Uh, I think we've we've both got a winner for... Who's going to cover a song, really? <laughs> the chorus releases most of the tension that is built up in the verses. And then we end with another band solo jam. I haven't got many notes for this one really at all. Not really. No, bass no more. No. that last solo a bit more balls but um I gotta 
have more cowbell, baby. I just heard the cowbell. <laughs> I just heard the cowbell in there. It's like, yes. Nice. Yeah, the, the last solo could, could be a bit better, but, you know. Whatever. Whatever. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Whatever. Track 10, Wheat Kings. I'll, I'll get my notes out of the way quickly. Okay. White limo syndrome. Skipped it. Oh, fool. You fool. You fool. See, I actually think, and I know this is gonna this is gonna cause problems. I think they should end the song, end the album after this song. Oh, you think this this song should close out the album? Like, it's a nice song. It's a landing it all back down a bit. It's one of their most popular songs. It just, I don't know. I find it hard to listen to the final two songs after I get to this one. But why not just put this one at the end? All that. But that's what I'm saying. Like the the rest of it all works, but then after the song, I've I'm just I'm a bit lethargic with it. Ah, see, I, I just skipped it. So fair enough. One of the most popular tracks. It's the acoustic strummy strummy. That's my midnight oil technical term where they start doing strummy strummy songs. It recounts yeah. the story of David Milgard, who was wrongly convicted of rape and murder in 1969. He maintained his innocence throughout his 23 year sentence. If he had have copped to the murder, he may have actually been released early, but he'd turned down some 20 opportunities for parole because he wanted to maintain his innocence. Fun fact. Fair, fair play to him, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the track begins with the call of a loon, an aquatic bird that is represented on Canadian money. Now, interestingly, the band used that recording without license and were legally threatened by the man who recorded the bird call. I'm actually, I'm interested to know who sits there and goes, hey, that's my that's bird. That's my bird. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to be pretty, pretty uh, obsessive to know that you recorded that call. But yeah, there you go. I like it when tracks have those little field recordings of like animals, like uh Trying to think, is it Morning View by Incubus have got the toads and so on and the crickets? Mm. I really like that. So, strummy, strummy for the real intro, though. Some nice harmonics here that you hear at the end. The verse has a great melody, and especially in the third line. Sundown in the Paris of the prairie, we kings of all treasures buried. All you hear are the rusted breezes. The chorus is really hooky as well. I'm quite a fan of the drawn out Wheat Kings followed by the rapid and pretty things. I think that sounds really cool. It's a nice little rhythmic idea. Hmm. And there's also some really cool slide guitar to finish this song off. I think, like I say, this this track should really finish the album. It pulls it all in for that perfect landing. And I, I find it really hard to then move into the next song, which is quite a rager. Oh, that's what tomorrow brings. 
It's a nice, simple one. Hmm. The next song is track 11, The Wherewithal. We're back into high gear, Jake. We're back into, like I say, white limo syndrome from the old one. Uh, yeah, well... I was really this, hoping there'd be some proper shouty vocals. There aren't, but... Uh, funny that you mentioned that because this one is straight ahead and the first note really reminds me of white limo. Yeah. <laughs> Hipmuseum.com reports fellow hip baser C. Fernie adds that in Calgary, Gord once introduced the wherewithal with this song is about Richard Nixon or Richard Dawson. Take your pick. Here you go. So this song again just kind of reminds me of the old hardcore kind of stuff that Dave Grohl probably grew up listening to. It's got the punk 16ths on the snare. It's got that chugging guitar. It sounds brilliant. I hate this song coming after weekends. I'm not going to lie. Like this is, it's a total false ending of like everything being wrapped up so nice and poetically. And now we're back onto hardcore punk rock. Rock. Yeah. Is what we're all about, Jake. So absolutely. Yeah. It's what we live for. Now shout it out. It's <laughs> the, the verse features harmonized vocals. I find unusual that Downey's prepared to let someone else sing all the vocals with him on this because he allegedly said from this album onwards he's writing all the lyrics. He's not allowing anybody else to contribute lyrically, which, you know, I understand as as the primary singer, but still, you know, I, I've never liked it. And I know that I've done this before when people take complete kind of compositional control. Mm. I think the yeah. reason you're in a band is to collaborate. Yeah. As such. Unless you've hired the band to come and play your stuff, but yeah. that's a separate instance to... Yeah, exactly. So I think as someone like Midnight Oil prove, everybody in the band has got something to say. The singer can take their lyrics and adjust them for their own beliefs and what they have to sing about, but I, to put a total ban on anybody else writing lyrics seems yeah. a bit, bit strange. But... It is what it is. Another chorus features the title and there's some like interesting skips where there seems to have been one less line of lyrics, which means the group play like a bar shorter than the four rounds. Let's have a listen. Just seems like they're missing a bit, doesn't it? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Now, now you mention it. Yeah. Another jamming ending. That's all I've got for this one. I do not like this song. <laughs> That's fair enough. I, I think it's like anti-white limo syndrome. I've got the opposite. Well, I think the problem is that you didn't just skip Wheat Kings. And if you just skip Wheat Kings... You can't just skip Wheat Kings. Though. That's like one of the band's most endearing songs. I skipped it. That's like going, well, you just got to skip Stairway to Heaven. You've just got to skip, you know, Enter Sandman. I mean, you could just skip more or less Led Zeppelin let's be honest um, <laughs> wait for it wait for it shots fired shots fired <laughs> uh, spoiler alert I, I don't really like Led Zeppelin uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh good for you 
Okay. So yeah, let's let's finish this one out. Trying to check if Corolla's is going out to the ice cream man. <laughs> you gonna shout at the window. Get me a screwball. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Doesn't look like it. Okay, the last song on this album is called El Dorado. The track features a misleading riff and introduction. I was going to throw in my my one line for this intro. It's do 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 do. What is that? I can't. So here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. Of course, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really put off by the drums in this song because every other song he's gone strong two and four, and now all of a sudden the song that needs it most, he's like, nope. Really yeah, I'm, annoys I'm me. with you. Yeah. That's not not the best. Yeah. Like I say, every other song, he's sitting there going, you know, they're probably asking him, can you can you change it up a bit? You know, do we have to do the same thing every time? And before they finish, he's <laughs> But this time He sort of did change it up a bit though. Locked in the trunk of a car. You know, he had his symbols. Yeah, seven. but it's all very backbeat oriented, right? There's yeah, it's all two is, yeah, and four, and now he's now he's just like no, but I do like the placing of the snare. I have to say that, and I have to give him his props because I don't know it slightly redeems the drumming choices for me. And I don't know if you just heard that there. There's some great harmonic movement. Very jazzy. Nice. Um, (laughs) the beat does finally drop and we get what we want we get what we've always wanted and the ending moves back to the creative beat and has a high-pitched sustained guitar And there we have it. That that was yeah, that was an album. We listened to album. it. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So I suppose you're gonna ask me uh ask me some questions now, I guess. I don't have to. Well I do have to, it's part of the structure. Yeah, it's a pretty key premise, really. I mean Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, Jake, let's let's go into the final section where I've got some questions for you. Are you ready to answer some final questions? Kind of. I still haven't decided on a favourite track. but uh, Well, it's not a great question to start with, but that's first in my line. (laughs) Yeah, let's let's go with it. Um, Okay, so Jake, 
Have you got a favourite song from Fully Completely by The Tragically Hip? I do, but I can't for the life of me remember what it's called. Is it I don't Courage? Think mention- no. Whatever the third one is, they don't mention it in the song. Oh, that oh, one. Oh, that one. The third one. The third one. The third one. Yeah, we can't remember what it's called. Um, Hold on, hold on. It would really useful. Of, but he did say the name, but it was like really subtle. Was that was that the one you meant? Yeah, that one. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to go with, I think, Courage. I like Will Go Too as well. I know you don't like that one so much. And I'd kind of agree. It does sound a bit like filler, but there's something quite redeeming about it. And again, they're kind of eternal optimism of it. I quite like it. That's fair enough. Is there a song that you'd like to hear covered by another artist? Well, obviously, with that much wire, there's only one band, one man who can do hit justice for all. Uh, that's uh, Metallica. <laughs> hey! Specifically, Kurt Kamet doing At The 100th Meridian. But no, the one actually I was thinking of and I alluded to earlier would be Locked in the Trunk of the Car, Billy Idol. Oh, okay. And and absolutely smashing it. Yeah, yeah. He's he's low-key pretty awesome, actually. Like, I know that he's kind of wrapped up in the in the 80s as being a bit 80s, but I don't know. Some of his stuff yeah. is pretty awesome. Yeah, until, until later in his career, and then it wasn't. Well, I tell you <laughs> what, I saw about 10 years ago now, I saw a DVD of him playing, and he's doing like an acoustic set, but he is giving it some. During an acoustic set, he's, yeah, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's almost as if he doesn't even realise that the full band's playing acoustically. <laughs> he's still going for it, and I really, I really admired that. Okay, well, I've got Lion Eyes by Nirvana. Or fully completely by Kings of Leon. Ooh. Yeah, I think ah. I think uh, old Caleb would do the the vocals quite a lot of justice on that one. I could see that. Yeah. 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 I mean there's there's not enough talk about sleeping with underage girls, but um, you know. This is true. This is true. But it is a breakup song, so it would work. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure he could link it in somehow, couldn't he? Yeah. Okay, so my fingers on my fingers on the buzzer here. <laughs> waiting <laughs> okay but does this rank in your top 10 not in my top 10 no you know we're at that point with top 10s oh, aren't yeah. we where it's things that have to be very 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 good to knock them out and are you um, saying this isn't good well it's not as good as fashion nugget <laughs> Yeah, no, I uh, I kind of agree with you on that one. That's, yeah, I have put it in my top 10. I've actually, I've put it just below Tokyo Police Club, fellow Canadians, which I'm sure friend of the Ooh. show, Graham's going to be really happy about that I rate his band higher than the hip. <laughs> I'll have to let him know. Did I tell you that he wants to come on and do just a podcast about you two? He was, he was pitching yeah, that to not? me and I was thinking, oh, yeah. You two as a whole, rather than a specific album. Just talking about you two. No, no, no. We had a specific album. Was it one of the newer ones? Ah, uh, no. It was well, two thousand, I think, two thousand one. I mean, to me, that's new. That's new. It, that's oh, new well, for you two. Yeah. You know. I was. Do you know what? I was watching you two at Glastonbury yesterday. That was ten years ago, and I was thinking, <laughs> have they actually been relevant the last ten years? I've barely heard They're of them relevant. apart from them like loading onto everybody's iPods and everybody getting really upset about it. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I was I was literally um, thinking I can't remember the last time they released anything. 
or were actually like newsworthy. And I don't mean that to to knock them down. I mean that as in like they're a huge band of my of my youth. They're a huge band of of my formative years, but I just mm. haven't heard much from them. We couldn't escape them for a while. I think they're just like a touring act these days, which yeah. is I think is the more dignified way to go. To be honest with you, if you create an output sort of like. And they've been doing it for long enough. It's fair enough if the the well has dried up a little bit. It, it's kind of been, rather than putting out crap albums, just just tour. Mm. And then when you get sick of touring, you, you too, you don't need the money. <laughs> you just that's true. I mean, a lot of us we always talk about people needing the money, but it's like this is all they've known. They've never known anything other than touring and playing music. So I reckon if you get people like this and and they they suddenly retire, they they just got too much time on their hands. But then they've been doing it with the same guys for however many years. Just start a new project. True. You know, true. Keep it fresh. Go into like, right, I'm going to make myself some acid jazz. You know. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm putting it in, like I say, at sixth place. And that leaves just one more question, Jake. Is fully completely by the Grateful Dead, I mean, the tragically hip. <laughs> Is fully completely a sound purchase. I mean, the Grateful Dead one, absolutely. <laughs> uh, if it was the Grateful Dead version of the album, it'd be right up in the, you know, like number three. Okay. Their version's much better. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, as it stands, I'm going to say no. I wouldn't buy this album. Yeah, sorry. It's not that it's a bad album I just wouldn't buy it yeah fair enough it's like 36 pounds as well and I can only find it on Amazon at the moment which is really bugging me I've stopped buying things or not no that's a lie I've stopped buying records on Amazon I'm trying to buy as local as I can since we started this podcast that's fair trying to get the tragically hip on anywhere but Amazon is a nightmare it's difficult yeah Sometimes I found this when we did after we'd done the Brainiac episode on Spotify. Mm. It actually has like a buy function where it will take you through to an online store where you can buy the vinyls. Oh, cool! Because um, I've ended up finding the Brainiac one on there for about and I was like for twelve pounds or something like that. Oh, that's not bad. No, I was pretty chuffed with that. Yeah. Um, can't find it. I'll, I'll have a look later. That's all right. But yeah, it's not to say it's not that it's necessarily because it's a bad album. It's just not my cup of tea. And on that basis i can't call it a sound purchase really well there we go i obviously do call it a sound purchase i -hmm. am looking to purchase it if someone has a second hand copy let me know please (laughs) perfect right i've got a cassette how's that um i'm not i'm not very good with cassettes okay i'm stefan and this was a sound purchase a podcast that does a deep dive to explore iconic recordings This episode was proudly produced by Robbie Mortimer. You can show your appreciation for the episode when you like us, review us, share us, and subscribe to us. Each engagement makes this effort all the more worthwhile, and the best way to grow this podcast is still by word of mouth. Support is appreciated. You can check the show notes, an up-to-date top tens list, and other musings at asoundpurchase.com. You can engage with us on social media under the handle Sound Purchase Pod. You can support us by getting yourself a Sound Purchase t-shirt, hoodie, mug, stickers by going to asoundpurchase.com forward slash shop. 
other episodes of A Sound Purchase are available at all of your favourite podcast platforms. Why not subscribe to be a friend of the show, where you will gain access to a hidden corridor of our website that contains exclusive blog posts, the Hall of Top Tens, special Friends of the Show merch, and now features bonus pods. Subscribe today for free at asoundpurchase.com forward slash F-O-T-S. And lastly, if you've enjoyed the sounds during today's episode, visit your local record store to pick up a copy of the Tragically Hips 1992 release fully, completely. Support local music, support local businesses. Let's keep it local.